0: Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. Each week, we'll discuss matters of importance that we covered and look ahead to what's coming in the Nevada Independent, or a nonprofit news site that can be found at thenevadaindependent.com. I'm joined today by two of our reporters, Jackie Valley and Riley Snyder. Say hello. 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 So I talked about matter. We talk about matters of importance, guys. There's really only one matter uh, of importance. Uh, it's the, not just the biggest story uh, in Las Vegas or in the country's biggest story in the world, and it's a horrific one, of uh, the biggest deadliest uh, shooting in modern uh, American history. Uh, Fifty-nine people dead uh, uh, and more than five hundred uh, injured. Uh, on on Sunday night. Before we talk about this story, I want to remind everybody, uh, all of our listeners, we're, we're we're a news organization that is not built to cover something like this. We, we have five reporters. Uh, we, we cover issues and public policy in depth. We, we cover government. And we actually, when uh, people may not remember, on Sunday night when this first broke, uh, Riley, we didn't know uh, uh, much except that maybe a couple of people had been killed. And we had a debate not a debate, I guess I should say a discussion internally, as we always do, about whether or not we should cover it. What do you remember about that?
1: Well, it feels like you know the last week has been about three months, so <laughs> it, it does it, seem like
0: it was a long time ago. It takes already. A,
1: a little bit to go back <laughs> to, to Sunday night, but what I recall was that just to like pull the curtain back a little bit was that we were having a debate. We didn't know the extent of you know the carnage um, on Sunday. We just had seen reports and more reports coming in and more reports coming in. And I I think there was a a discussion because we didn't obviously know how big it was. We didn't know if it was just a few people who were shot and killed. We we didn't really know. As you said, we have never really covered anything like this. I don't think like crime reporting has really been our our forte. But, you know, it's um, as reporters, as Las Vegans, I felt like um, especially now, I I think I was a little – more hesitant to cover it just because we haven't done any of this before, but just as more and more of the news came in, it was like this is something that's going to you know, dominate our lives, not just for the next week, but probably you know for years and years from now.
0: That's probably right. Did you remember anything about what your initial reactions were, Jackie, when we were having this discussion?
2: Yeah, we were all um, talking about something different from Monday, and I s- started seeing a few uh, Twitter messages about a possible shooting on the strip, and then it indicated that it was at the Harvest Country Music Festival, and I actually knew that I had a couple of friends who were supposed to be going, so I was texting people to see who, if they were there, if they were okay, what was going on. Meanwhile, we were having this internal discussion of what we should do. Um, As a former crime reporter, I think I was screaming on the inside that we should be there, but, you know, at the same time, it was a tough call given that we had no idea what the magnitude or scope was. I mean, police really weren't saying anything. It just sounded like a Chaos and different, a uh, big unknown at that point of what was actually happening down there.
0: As a former crime reporter, I think you actually wanted to go out to the scene. Isn't that what Isn't that what you wanted to that, do?
2: That is correct.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, and I know I know that instinct. That's that that's how I started. Uh, 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 covering news, I, I, I guess what people should understand is that we we even even when we finally went to bed, and all of us just got a few hours of sleep because we spent a few uh, hours discussing this. And I was actually sitting in a hotel room in Reno, uh, watching this unfold on national television. It was really uh, eerie to see to see this happening. Is I think we decided, did we not ultimately that even though we only knew that a couple of people by then had been killed and about twenty odd been injured, that we were just going to do a small story but probably would not continue to cover it. Is that what you remember?
1: Yeah. And I think it was like one or two in the morning and just, um, you know, it was super late, but it just seemed like everything was happening very quickly and in a short amount of time. Um, and I think Jackie and Megan wrote a short story and, you know, I don't know what everyone's sleep schedules were like, but, you know, I, I was up super late. I got like three or four hours of sleep and I got up and worked just straight through Monday, and I'm sure that's how it was for for the rest of you
0: let's let's talk about that, Jackie. when we all got up the next day and we saw that this was just a a massive incident with hundreds of people injured. and 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 we already knew by Monday morning, I think that dozens of people, although we didn't know the exact number, uh, had been killed. We had a discussion and and we knew that we couldn't do what, for instance, the r j. Uh, could do, which is put dozens of reporters essentially on this. And I do want to say at the outset that, that I think the Review Journal has done a great job in covering this. They've been able to be get the personal stories of those killed, and they've done a lot of great breaking news reporting. But we thought that we could do something ourselves. And let's talk about that discussion and how we ended up covering this, Jackie.
2: Yeah, we kind of took a look at what was going on, and it was honestly pretty overwhelming. And we tried to just sketch out what pieces we th- we thought we wanted to tackle. Um, one was sort of the community response. We already knew that there were lines forming at blood centers. There were the donations rolling into Thomas and Mack Center. There were just there were police press conferences happening later in the day. By that point, they had I think identified the suspect as someone from Mesquite. So we knew that about 80 miles northwest of Las Vegas, there was a home and a neighborhood where this person lived and probably went unnoticed, largely by his neighbors. Uh, So we had a bunch of things we were looking at, and we kind of narrowed in on looking at those developments, you know, what was happening from the police side and the investigation, um, and then what was happening in Mesquite, who was this person, who was Stephen Paddock, and then uh, as well as what was happening on the ground in the community. So uh, I quickly got ready and just headed out.
0: What did you do? Tell people what you did.
2: Uh, I first went to Sunrise because we knew that... Sunrise Hospital Medical Center, we knew a lot of the patients had been transported there. Uh, my colleagues were headed to University Medical Center. Uh, I got there and was uh, I parked far away. I just figured it'd be hard to even access. And as I walked up, it was just eerily quiet. Uh, you didn't see any ambulances really coming in or out. Um, all you saw were guards at the, the entrances to the hospital. And, you know, I have to give them credit. They were so nice they, but they said, you know, it's essentially a lockdown campus. We're not letting anyone on right now. So from there, I headed to Thomas and Mack Center. And at that point, most of the refugees, so to speak, who wound up there during the night as they fled and left their cars and IDs and wallets behind at the scene just started walking or getting picked up by random vehicles along the way. And so a couple thousand, I think, was estimated ended up at Thomas and Mack Center at UNLV. But by about 7.38, most of those folks had been cleared out and were on their way either back to a hotel setting or home or hospital to be reunited with friends and family. But the donations were rolling in. Like, they had started in the night, in the middle of the night. I mean, I saw Krispy Kreme donuts come by. Uh, There was just packages and packages of water and snacks. Apparently, there were things like toothbrushes and cell phone chargers dropped off because... You know, people wanted to get in touch with the family if they had phone, but all the uh, chargers were dying. And so, yeah, it was quite the scene. Uh, but people out there spoke to me and said that it was just an unreal setting. You know, there were these people rolling in with dirty, bloodied clothes, mascara running down their face from crying and just confused. Like, they didn't know what was going on even really at that point other than there had been obviously been some sort of a shooting. Um, many didn't know where their loved ones were either.
0: I think a couple of things that came out early, and you mentioned one of them, was that the suspect was from Mesquite. So we decided to send uh, your great former colleague at at, at the Las Vegas Sun, who's done work for us, uh, Daniel Rothberg, and he went out there and and, and we got that story. And also, all kinds of amateur video uh, was surfacing uh, uh, already, Mm -hmm. including some that showed Jason Aldean singing, and then suddenly you heard this what sounded just these popping sounds, and suddenly the people I think said they thought they were fireworks, mm-hmm. and they realized it. And Jason Aldine stopped, and he uh, dove for for cover. Uh, and so we were trying to have, the, like, the main story of, of, of the nuts and bolts, what was going on. But we also, Riley, this was actually in our wheelhouse. And as, as I recall, you correct me if I'm wrong, you actually were kind of like the old days, the, the guy who's at the rewrite desk kind of directing hmm. traffic. Uh, uh, have you heard of that? I know, I, know, I know you're so young. You may not have heard of uh, Get Me Rewrite, but uh, watch a movie. Uh, uh, black and white, of course. Uh, but, but, but seriously, there was politicians all over this, right? They, they, they were putting out reactions to this they were uh, Reuben Keewan was at a uh, University Medical Center, I think it was and saw someone die in front of him. Steve Sisolak, the chairman of the Clark County Commission, was there since midnight with the sheriff. Talk, talk about getting that kind of reaction. I think you were responsible for that.
1: Yeah, so I just put together something really quick. and you know we, we do this congressional tracker every single week and everyone in the delegation outside of Mark Amade, who represents a part of Northern Nevada skipped every single floor vote this week. They've all been in Vegas the entire time. I think Dean Heller might have gone back to D.C. because he flew here with with President Trump on Wednesday. But they've just been on the ground in in press conferences, sort of in the background, trying to give updates. And uh, there's a sense, I think, of maybe frustration. I I know, like, all all of the delegation is here. They're all trying to be helpful. They're all trying to, like, call for blood drives and everything. There's not a lot they they can do, really, in, in their official capacity in terms of fixing this, is because they're, they're like, there isn't a lot anyone can do. It's, it's sort of this, I feel like we've all lived in sort of like this little weird, surreal week where we, we don't really know what's going on, where there's like a, a real desire to like rush and get news, but like the biggest news has happened and the, it's difficult to, I think, deal with it. And so they've been, uh, all of them, the governor, Attorney General Adam Laxall, the entire delegation, uh, Clark County Commissioner Steve Sisolak have all been very, um, at the forefront and very public um, at a lot of the, the um, public-facing events that have, that have happened in the wake of this.
0: And of course, the biggest uh, uh, sign of the political reaction was that the president almost immediately announced that he was going to come to Las Vegas after going uh, to Puerto Rico. And that was uh, kind of uh, uh, an easy uh, journalism decision for us to make. We were going to be all over uh, that visit. Talk, talk about that day, Riley, from what you remember. Yeah, so
1: the president flew in on Wednesday, I think. It's been, again, a long week. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was here on Wednesday. He flew in with Senator Dean Heller, Congressman Mark Amaday, and Kevin McCarthy, uh, the House Majority Leader in California, he had, I think, a handful of his constituents die in, in the shooting. That's... There were
0: California, off-duty California law enforcement folks in the, the audience, I think, who helped, uh, if I recall correctly, uh, and, and were, were were credited with helping to save lives.
1: Yeah, and I think the Review Journal reported that like there was twice as many California victims as mm-hmm. there were right. Nevada victims, or yeah. just a ton of people from out of state. Like someone from my hometown in California was shot and killed that... I didn't know, but I have like friends from high school who know. It's just it's amazing the extent of this and how it's touched anyone. But the president was here on Wednesday. He flew in about mid morning. You know, he then talked to the assembled press who were there to see the, his plane land. Um, he met with the governor, Attorney General Adam Laxalt, uh, Mayor, Mayor Carolyn Goodman, and, and Sheriff Joe Lombardo. Um, I think he, he drove over to, to UMC where he met with patients and. First responders. This was mostly closed to the media. It was all sort of behind closed doors. He, he talked briefly to the press, just sort of about who we talked to, and he stopped to say he has full confidence in Rex Tillerson, which is a totally different right. news story. Um, and then he went to Metro's headquarters where he met with some of the first responders, some of the um, dispatch people who, who worked. I think one of them joked that, like, after the night they had, they needed a margarita or something. And then he gave uh, about a 10-minute speech that was very non-political, very measured, and then he was wheels up, and he was uh, in and out in about four
0: hours. You no, know, it's interesting, Jackie, because uh, one thing we didn't mention is that two candidates for governor were supposed to announce on uh, their candidacies on Monday, mm-hmm. Adam Laxalt, and Chris June Kiliani, Uh, you happen to have been previously scheduled to go see, uh, I I believe, Chris June Kiliani speak before Hispanics in politics. Mm -hmm. We decided to still send you there. She essentially said, I'm not announcing, but I'm in, which was kind of a bizarre thing. But then you scrambled from there to cover the president's (laughs) visit, correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct, because I had been at Hispanics in politics, which was at a restaurant in downtown Las Vegas. And my other coworker, Megan, was trying to get to the metro headquarters. But of course, they uh, barricaded traffic for the president's motorcade, and so she was having trouble get, getting there. So I was able to jump a few blocks over to the west and, and land there to wait for him, his arrival.
0: And and what did, did you pick up anything there? It was difficult to get anything, right?
2: It was really difficult. I mean, you they had it all blocked off, and we were anticipating maybe the motorcade would roll in in the front circle right in front of the main doors and drop him off there, wave to the crowd assembled, etc. That didn't happen at all. The motorcade drove by on uh, Martin Luther King Boulevard, took a left turn in, and went behind the metro building to a back door and then in and out that way. So those of us in the press assembled outside really didn't see anything at all. At one point, a handful of first responders left the building, and they had been among the group that met with the president. And uh, a Nevada Highway Patrol trooper stopped and spoke very, very briefly. Uh, he said, Simply that the president thanked them and chatted for a bit, um, but that it was ultimately a pretty quick visit.
0: And and you had already uh, been covering uh, what what Metro had been saying about Mm -hmm. about that the fact that this guy had this cache of weapons all Mm -hmm. over the place, and that they they pretty early on knew right that it was premeditated. They figured that out.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it sounds as soon as you step in that room. I mean, it, it seemed like it was very obvious that this had been meticulously planned. There was, I think, 23 firearms found in the room. He had brought a hammer to smash the windows. He had set up uh, cameras, uh, one in the hotel room door peephole, two out on a service cart out in the hallway. Uh, So, I mean, this was uh, very elaborate. And, I mean, hate to say it, but well thought out. And in the purest of evil ways.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the purest of evil ways is a great way to put it. And we should say we're doing this podcast. On uh, Friday afternoon, and we, the the Metro just finished another press conference, which the sheriff essentially said, we still don't know what this guy's motive is. There's We've had thou- a thousand leads. They, they, they don't have anything. They're very frustrated. Sheriff Lombardo, who I think has carried himself very well, and McMahon have carried themselves very well, but they're clearly very frustrated uh, by this. Uh, Riley, one of the things that's been going on dur- during this whole week is this talk about, well, we should talk about gun control again, which is what always happens after one of these incidents. And the president and most Republicans have said now is not the time to talk about it. Democrats are all saying we should ban these so-called bump stocks, which which he used to turn these uh, weapons into faster killing uh, machines. And there's been a lot of talk about the gun culture in Nevada. Uh, And about the background checks initiative. You actually did an explainer piece uh, about what the real laws are to try to cut through all of that. Talk about that piece.
1: Yeah, just you were talking about sort of the whole debate about gun control. And it's always, you know, every time this has happened, whether it's in Aurora or Sandy Hook or in Texas or at the Pulse nightclub shooting, it's like the same sort of thing has happened. But it's just it's weird to be in the middle of it and just it's. I've said surreal, I think, like five or six times on the podcast, but it's just been very surreal to me. You're be. right,
0: because usually we're sitting here looking at a distance at something like this, and it is it is surreal to think this is in our backyard. This is, you know, not at a place we've all been, right? The Mandalay yeah. Bay and outside of there. It's, it is, it, it's still, I don't even know if it's fully hit all of us.
1: No, I don't think so. And like on Sunday night, I was driving by Mandalay Bay. I was downtown like an hour beforehand, and of course, I was nowhere near and I was home when all of this started to happen, but you just start questioning and thinking, you know, he was at, he booked hotel rooms that uh, in a room that was overlooking Life is Beautiful before I was talking. That's in
0: downtown Las Vegas at the Ogden.
1: Yeah. Which also has, uh, it's another musical festival that attracts thousands of people. I was talking with Susie Lee randomly at, at an event. She's a woman running for Congress who's been backed by the DCCC and, you know, she and her 13 year old were there and she was just sort of in a, like a very weird state. She had a friend whose daughter died. It's just, it's, it's been strange for me, and, and I know I'm getting away from the gun no, culture ahead, question, right. ahead, but, um, you know, just as a small news organization, it's hard because, like, we don't have the resources or sort of the people um, where we can have, like, people desking and have, like, all these people keeping an eye on social media, trying to find videos, doing all of that, having all these people out at hospitals, having all these people trying to find first responders, and there's just sort of, like, a hurricane of news that has happened this week, and we're – I feel like we're in the middle of the storm and we're just trying to hold on to, to cover this. So it's, it's been, you know, one of the most, like – surreal, heartbreaking, um, emotional weeks I can... I can think of and
0: it's been overwhelming I think mm-hmm. for all of us especially as a small news organization but but I do have to say I, I think all of you guys and I'm not just saying this because I'm you've all risen to the occasion you all worked together as a team as you have on other kinds of big stories and I think for a small news organization we have done some really good work we had some stuff first we Jackie, you've got you, you did, you've got a lot of great vignettes I think of, of people and and, and, the, and their experiences we can talk about that in a minute if you want but right let's go back to the because I, I don't want to talk about the, the I actually do want to talk about the human aspect of this and the toll on us and people you may know, but let's go back to the whole issue of the gun culture in Nevada that's being talked about a lot and this discussion that you are right is, is repetitive all the time after one of these incidents. What really are the gun laws in Nevada?
1: Yeah, apologies for doing the politician no, thing where you no. ask a question and I answer with no, a totally actually, different answer. You, you uh, actually
0: did the human being thing, so yeah. that's
1: good. Um, so I did a story, as many people have done, on Nevada's gun laws, and just for the record, this it appears that the shooter, Stephen Paddock, purchased all these guns legally passed background checks, didn't have a criminal record when he was purchasing all of these firearms. So I think that's an important caveat to say. However, Nevada um, has been criticized as having lax gun laws. Some people can put it that way. I think probably a better way is to say there's a handful of states that have stricter gun laws, such as California, New York, Maryland, places where you have limits on the number of like firearms you can buy in a month, limits on um, magazine size. Nevada doesn't have any rules on this. There's no rules on these bump stocks, these devices that essentially turn semi-automatic weapons and using the recoil from firing into automatic weapons. There was 12 of those found in the, the hotel room. Um, and really, I, I think one of the things I tried to hit on in, in my story was that in 2015, the state legislature passed this bill that did a bunch of things in terms of gun laws. It, it sort of expanded and clarified the Castle Doctrine, which um, is a legal term for when you can uh, you know, shoot someone in self-defense. And not be charged for murder. Um, It expanded penalties uh, and prohibitions on people with domestic violence orders from having uh, or being able to possess a firearm. But what it most importantly did and why it's relevant now is that it gave the legislature um, sort of oversight and supremacy over localities that try to pass rules on firearms. So prior to this, Clark County had its own handgun registry. I think at some point they had a 72-hour waiting period to buy guns. And that all got done away with in this bill that passed in 2015 I think Democrats were pretty much opposed to it. It was a bill brought by Senator Senate Minority Leader Michael Roberson. But the important point is that if any changes to Nevada's firearm laws, regulations, any things that are being discussed are gonna come up, it's gonna happen in twenty nineteen because I don't think there's gonna be a special session. It requires either the governor to call it. He's a Republican, so that seems unlikely, or two thirds of the legislature and they don't have a two-thirds majority in either house. So any changes out of this in terms of what Nevada is doing or it's going to have to wait for quite a long time.
0: But but I mean, we are an open carry state, correct? Yes. Uh, Meaning, which means what?
1: Which means you can openly carry a firearm um, without a permit. We're also a concealed carry state where it's, I think the term is a shall carry, which means if you meet certain minimum qualifications, you can uh, carry a concealed weapon and get a permit for that. There's firearm courses. You have to like not be a drug addict or have a, a, a felony on your record. But yeah, like we're – we're there's like a group of I think about 35 to 40 states where the, the gun laws are pretty similar and we're one of those.
0: And uh, th- there was some controversy over a background checks law uh, th- that was passed uh, by voters last year. It has not been enforced yet and, uh, and this is like a very strange – talk about surreal things. Just a few days before this occurred, the supporters had sent a letter – uh, to, to Governor Sandoval, we broke the story in the Independent, in, in in which they essentially threatened to sue unless he enforces. Now, again, it appears that he, this guy, passed background checks that he bought his guns legally. We don't. Again, I, I'm still a, a little wary because it's still relatively early. We may find out that he had some illegal weapons, but he passed background checks anyhow.
1: Yeah, he did. And so what, what you're talking about, this ballot question, it passed in 2016 on a margin of about 10,000 votes out of more than 1.1 million cast. So it was very, very close. It lost in 16 of 17 counties. It won in Clark. Th- this all goes back to the whole question over gun culture in Nevada. But what this ballot question did was basically require anyone who wants to privately sell or transfer a firearm to another private individual. So if you go on Craigslist and try to buy a gun from someone, um, what this ballot measure would uh, basically make sure is that you have to first go to a licensed firearm dealer and they would conduct a background check using the FBI system. Now, this gets into like sort of this weird jurisdictional fight where Nevada, we have our own background check system that licensed firearm dealers use where if you go to a store today and try and buy a gun, they'll run that. The state really likes that. They put that in place in 1998. It's called a point of contact system, and that takes in more information than the FBI system. However, the ballot question people when they wrote this said that private party sales or transfers, the ones that are being impacted by the ballot, question. Those um, have to go through the FBI's background check system. They, I think they did that because there's no cost to the state if they do that. Otherwise, they would have to find some way to pay. I, I don't remember the exact financial figures because it's been a very long week, but right. um, mm-hmm. they, they'd have to pay for it. So in December of this year, after it passed, Attorney General Adam Laxalt's office issued this opinion saying it was unenforceable because the FBI had sent a letter to them saying, we're not going to do this unless you guys change your point of contact status. And so uh, what this group, Nevadans for Background Checks, which really fought for the – was the primary driver of this ballot question. sent a letter to the governor saying, we're giving you until October 9th until we're going to take legal action that will compel you to follow this, that the state needs to change and become either a hybrid or a partial point of contact where the majority of background checks will be done through the state system. But they um, are basically good with the feds, good with the FBI, and they'll do that for the uh, private party sales and transfers.
0: Yeah, and we should tell people, too, that the governor uh, was against uh, this background checks question, and and Adam Laxalt, the attorney general, essentially actively campaigned uh, against it. But as you pointed out, and this is the the dichotomy in this state, it won, I think, by about 100,000 votes in Clark County, which was enough uh, to make up for, for, for the rest of the state. Uh, Jackie, there's a couple other things that you did I want I want to talk about, uh, and I mentioned the, all the vignettes that we tried to put together, and, and we had as, uh, all of the reporters trying to feed into this, and of course we could not do what the major newspapers are doing. But uh, t- tell me a one or two that stuck with you that that, that you wrote about.
2: Yeah, uh, well, I wrote to two, pe- wrote about two different people who attended and uh, fortunately survived unharmed physically at least. Uh, one was a. 31-year-old from Iowa, Des Moines area. He came out here um, to attend the concert with his buddy. Actually, he was he attended the iHeart Radio Festival the weekend prior and then the Harvest Country F- Music Festival over the weekend. And, uh, I mean, they made the fortunate decision to stand in the back because they said it was simply just closer to the vendors, the food, the beer, and the bathrooms. And so they were not in the target area where most of the casualties occurred up close to the stage. But what he described was just really chilling, you know, that it rings out. He was actually on his way to go get beer for his group, Um, so he was heading toward this beer garden a little bit closer to the stage. And he heard the pop, pop, pop that pretty much everyone's described. He thought it was an electrical malfunction with a lighting apparatus near him. Um, But then the lights didn't go out, and then it started again. And then at that point, you know, the music cut with Jason Aldean, and then it became very evident that it was actually gunfire. He ended up, you know, diving into the beer garden area. And, you know, it sounded like from what people were describing was there'd be a, a round of gunfire a few seconds between And then it would start again so during one of those intervals where there wasn't any he contemplated rushing forward to try to help because he could see people falling and uh, wounded or dying and as he started to head that way it started again and he realized i there's nothing i can do everyone's leaving i can't get any closer Um, so he ran um, actually toward the luxor because he was on that side by that point he said the police were arriving they were, of course, still trying to get a handle on what the heck was going on. And they were just telling him, go, move that way. Get next to the, the statue out in front of the Luxor, barricade. You know, get anything that can cover you. Um, so he ended up taking some video. that I mean, it's, it's horrible. It's just shot after shot after shot. Very loud. Um, he was fine. This being Las Vegas, you know, if, you're, if you've been here, live here, when you walk into a casino, it, it's like the outside world doesn't exist. You hear the ringing slot machines... People laughing, drinking, talking. So, of course, when he walked in, no one had any idea what was transpiring just outside the front door. So people were giving him weird looks because he had, you know, bl- um, beer and mud and everything on his jeans because he was climbing over fences to get away. So I found that particularly, like, poignant. That, yeah. And I think that's obviously what led to a lot of the misinformation originally about shooters in multiple locations because as people were leaving in a hurry, frantic mess. They were flooding into these different casinos, some of them bleeding. So right. it was triggering other 911 calls at the same time.
0: So you mentioned there was, there was another one too that you wanted to talk about or not?
2: Yeah. So then later um, that day, I spoke to this other man who happened to be there and he uh, was closer to the front and was actually able to help carry some people out because, you know, when, when something like this happens, police have to s- somewhat secure the scene before paramedics and so forth are let in. So at, very early on, it was civilians just helping each other, bringing them to safety. And, you know, he described how he encountered a, a woman who'd been shot in the stomach, and she was just pleading for help, so she he helped her as much as he could. And then there was a group of them that— continued forward and started helping other victims that were crumpling to the ground. And they were breaking apart the metal barriers on the edges of the concert area and using those as makeshift gurneys to just get people out of there. It's
0: just unimaginable, and you think about it. I guess they've figured out now, as best they can. There was ten minutes essentially of continual mm-hmm. uh, shooting, and, 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 and before they got there, he shot a security guard who, who apparently is the real hero of all this because he because mm-hmm. he stopped it, and then he killed himself. A uh, paddock did before the the, the cops. Uh, got in there. Uh, one other aspect of this, uh, and, and you wrote a piece about this, Jackie, I believe with Megan Messerly, okay. you can correct me, is is this the money that was been raised. It's really been phenomenal. Steve Sisolak, the chairman of the Clare County Commission, and the sheriff set up this GoFundMe uh, account to, to to help the victims. I think their original goal was only $2 million. Uh, again, it's on Friday. I think they're probably close to about $10 million uh, about, by now. I'm not, I'm not sure of the most recent uh, number. But one thing, of course, and this is the worst of human nature, is people trying to take advantage of this situation. Mm-hmm. And you wrote a piece, I think, talking about how the Attorney General, Adam Laxalt, and others are trying to warn people about these scammers, right?
2: Yeah. So by Thursday, the Attorney General came out and was warning people to really pay close attention to where they're donating and whether that money will actually get to the victims. Um, I talked to this woman named Anita Bush, and she unfortunately lost her cousin in the Aurora, Colorado shooting. Um, So, you know, catapulted her into this group that no one wants to be a part of, which is the survivors or loved ones of these mass shootings. And so, you know, several years ago, they banded together because what they realized was these fundraisers, donation entities would form uh, collecting money. But it was very little that money was actually trickling out to the victims for their needs. Part of the problem is if you're a nonprofit that's already established, you have a, a mission statement that doesn't allow the direction of that money to go elsewhere. So um, what what she was saying is that, you know they banded together and they contacted the National uh, Center for Crime Victims. And through that group, um, which sole purpose is helping folks like them, they initiated what's called the National Compassion Fund. And that's one where if you de- if you donate money, 100% every penny will go back out to the victims. And like she said, you know, it's staggering how much money will be needed. You know, you're talking about transportation expenses, obviously, um, burial expenses, um, medical expenses. And it's not just like the immediate surgery. It's going to be multiple surgeries for many of these folks who were critically injured. And then on top of that, you have them not being in work their spouse is probably being out of work, taking care of them. And it's just this huge ripple effect that's going to go on for years and years for them.
0: You talk about it. I mean, it's when you say it, you think about the enormity of it. $10 million sounds like an incredible amount of money, but hundreds and hundreds of people in the ripple mm-hmm. effect you're talking about, it may not even be enough.
2: Yeah. I mean, and that's just the, when, when I said surgeries, that's the physical wounds, but then you have the counseling and everything else for PTSD and trauma.
0: Let, let's talk a little bit as, as we wind this down about the, I mean, we covered this all week and Riley expressed very eloquently, I thought, about how we're all overwhelmed too. And we live here. I've told the story now several times of my son, who's 22 years old, wanted to go to this concert. He loves country music. He and his girlfriend wanted to go. The, the, the event was sold out. Uh, and, and they actually tried to get in radio station contests to get to win tickets. And he just told me, as a matter of fact, last night uh, at the dinner, another aspect of this, his girlfriend actually had called in and thought she knew the answer to the question that was being asked, and her cell phone went dead. So just, I mean, it's just, it's bizarre, right? It's surreal. We'll keep using the, the, the same word. I don't know anybody uh, at least personally, who was, uh, that I know of, who was injured or who was shot? D- do either of you know anybody personally?
2: I, not personally. I have a friend who was there and escaped unharmed physically, fortunately. The buddy that he was supposed to go with um, actually didn't end up going that night. And uh, it was just one of those what-if what, what if situations. Um, you know, I I heard that someone friend of a friend has been injured and shot and is in the hospital i mean so it's sort of like the six degrees of separation thing you're gonna know at least probably one or two people
0: (laughs) i think i'll end up yeah i probably don't know some yet but someone i mean 500 people injured did you know anybody riley
1: no one who was injured i did have one friend who escaped and like you know this is a very millennial thing but they were like snapchatting the entire concert and usually it's like you know concert videos are kind of annoying because it's very loud you can't hear the music very well it was just like you know, a horror movie, 10 seconds apart. Cause you know, it was big and rich and then it's Jason Aldean. And like, I knew in just the back of my head, like, you know, 10 minutes after she took that video, she's running for her life and she's on the ground trying to take cover. Um, you know, having to duck and like get in the car and, and drive off. And it's just, you know, I, I, everyone in Vegas knows someone, you know, whether it's an Uber driver or, you know, like a cashier at the grocery store, you just hear people talking about it. It's I think this is um, – and, and one thing Jackie brought up that I wanted to mention um, is on Monday I, I talked to the the head of the state's medical association. And the first thing that they said on Monday, this is like less than 24 hours after it happened, is that once you know the big news trucks drive away, once people are out of surgery, once they're home, the biggest need going forward is going to be um, counselors, mental health specialists. And Nevada has consistently like ranked last in, in that in the number of psychologists – who live here, who work here, right. um, that's going to be a major problem going forward. I don't know if it's going to be an, an out-of-the-state thing, um, what that's going to look like. But I think the the psychological drama, the PTSD that so many people are going to have to deal with going forward, the counseling that's going to be needed, it's going to be immense um, for the next weeks and months and years.
0: Yeah, and that's a great point that you brought up about how we've so drastically underfunded mental health in this state, and we don't even have a lot of private services uh, the, 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 that are needed. Uh, just a couple other things I hope you guys don't mind talking about. This. Jackie, when you got home at, at night after covering this, and we're all exhausted, did you have trouble sleeping? Did, did, did has, it, has it really hit you yet? Do you think it's going to hit you over the weekend? What, what, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I just, I mean, it was hard to fall asleep. I'll admit, I took cough syrup one night just to help me fall asleep. Um, I You know, it's just, it's hard to unwind after, listening and focusing on all the grim details all day long. Yeah, I
0: mean, we're not, we're not trying to make this about us. I'm not trying to do that because there are obviously people who either lost loved ones or saw some of the things that we've talked about. But when you were journalist, and I don't think people really understand this, you're, the adrenaline is flowing during something like this. And you are trying to do your job. And you were—you a bunch, went to a bunch of different places. We were all, you guys were all run, running around. I mean, Riley, did you have trouble sleeping? Do you think it's really hit you yet?
1: I drink a lot of wine this week, so I've been, been OK <laughs> yeah. in terms of sleep. But yeah, you know, like it. It is the adrenaline, it's running around, but just like, you know, on, on Thursday, I've like found a thread that the Boston Globe was doing and they just went through each victim. They had like a little picture. And you know, you see that and it just like it all rushes back and it all becomes like so so very real over again. I think one of the most emotional interviews I had was on a totally different story about Switch filing their IPO. I, I interviewed um, sort of an IPO expert who's based in Greenwich, Connecticut. And obviously, everyone we've talked to and done interviews this week has brought this up, and so they're so sorry. And they said, you know, after 9-11, she, she's been in Connecticut for a long time. She would, like, take the train home, and she would just see, like, cars parked outside. And you wonder, like, you know, were those folks um, who were in the tower? You think of, like, the friends you had, um, the businesses that might have been in those towers. And every time something like this happens, every time it's a MASHcastle T event, it brings that up for people in that area who were affected. It brings it up for people in Aurora, brings it up for people in Sandy Hook, brings it up for everyone. And now, you know, when unfortunately the next thing like this happens, it's going to bring it up. The, the initial trauma of it happening was very difficult to deal with, but these sort of like secondary things are going to be, you know, not not fun
2: to deal with either. Go ahead. I, I think one thing, I mean, just for every community member, not just reporters, is the feeling of you want to do more, you know, where can you donate? What can you donate? I mean... Could we be doing more stories? I mean, it's just it's, overall the community wants to help, and you know, sometimes it's there's just not a way to do it.
0: It's interesting you mentioned that in this whole issue of community, and and I did a, 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 believe me, I'm not saying this, Riley, don't give me a hard time to brag about this, but I I did like a half a dozen national media hits, and one of the things I tried to express, because I get this a lot in just covering politics, is people think of Las Vegas as kind of an alien place, right? They think Mm -hmm. only of the Strip. They don't realize that there's a real community here, or as uh, my friend Major Garrett, the the CBS News White House correspondent said, you know, these these are people who have football games, they go to football games on Friday night, that there's a real community here. And the response has really been phenomenal, just in terms of people not just donating to the GoFundMe, but you heard these stories early on, right, of hundreds of people lining up to donate blood. They ran out of donation kits at some places. They had to set up this, you know, in websites where where people had uh, to make appointments. And I think a lot of people uh, feel the way that you do, Jackie, like what more can we do? And you really can't do more, and you see these frustration by the law enforcement folks, whether it's Joe Lombardo, the sheriff or the under sheriff, uh, 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 or, or even the, the the very terse, laconic head of the FBI here, uh, 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 Rouse. I think his his name is. Th- th- This long after an event like this, with all that's out there on social media, they found residences of this guy, this guy had in Northern and Southern Nevada. They found computers and they don't know. I mean, they may know more than they're telling us, but they don't know. And I'm sure a lot of people out there are so frustrated uh, by that too. And of course, looking ahead, and let, let's talk a little bit, and we'll wrap it up with this. Let's talk about what we're working on for the weekend. I mean, there's a lot of stories like, what now? You know, uh, uh, Do people feel safe going into casinos? How do we deal with, with this as a, as a tourism destination? What are you working on, Jackie?
2: So I'm working with uh, two of our colleagues on a story about the perception of safety and security on the Strip going forward. Um, you know, by By all accounts, law enforcement is saying it doesn't look like this really had any obvious red flags that could have prevented it and that they've been saying over and over again really from Monday that Las Vegas is safe. We're a safe city. We're strong. We'll come back um, and be stronger after this. Um, but, you know, the, it's a valid question. Are people not going to want to come here or not want to attend one of the, the, the music festivals or the big concerts? Or, or We have hockey games now. And so we're looking at what the... Um, the new marketing strategy is essentially to rest, give people a little bit more reassurance.
0: Yeah, it's it's difficult because they can say Las Vegas is safe, and and, and maybe people are actually going to think that. Maybe the worst thing that's happened is that people just get a nerd to all this because it's happened so often now. Even though this was a mass the the mass casualty event in modern American history, are people getting a nerd to it that it's not going to be Vegas specific.
2: Well, and that's exactly what one tourist told me yesterday. I was. Went to the Welcome to Las Vegas sign to talk to people there and he said, you know, this is unfortunately humanity now and we're kind of numb to it. It's not a Las Vegas problem. It's a terrible thing. Riley, what are you working on? Um,
1: I'm working on a story that has to do with sort of federal funding to prepare for these type of events, more specifically the response. Uh, Las Vegas has had an issue with getting – Federal money, just because our population isn't big, they really don't take a large tourism centers into account. So that's been an ongoing issue and just sort of a renewed look at that now that something like this has finally happened. And I think, you know, I think Jackie was touching on it. We've talked about it a little bit, but there's a, it's just a matter of time before something like this happened. And I think it's been strange because usually after these events, like you don't see the mayor or like the sheriff come on TV and say, like, please come here next week, like, don't cancel your trip. But it's just—it's a very Vegas-specific thing that we're saying. Like, yes, we need you to come here, go get really drunk on the Strip, go make mistakes. Like, this is what our entire city and sort of culture is based on.
0: Yeah, exactly, and they've started this Vegas Strong hashtag, and now you see all over the country. I, I heard the Boston Bruins put Vegas Strong on on on, on the ice, and, and and so that that branding is smart. But people are—I think—I think probably will be hesitant. It's going to be interesting uh, to watch. So, well, we're, we're working on those stories. Uh, for, for the weekend. I really appreciate both of you guys coming in uh, today. I know it's been a long week, uh, uh, Riley and and Jackie. I'm not even going to do my usual facetious end uh, to the podcast. I just don't think it's appropriate uh, uh, this week. Thanks to both of you for coming in, Riley and Jackie. Thank you very much. Uh, and that's all the time we do have for this uh, edition of the Indy Matters podcast. We want to know what you think. If you have ideas, criticism, or even praise, email us at ideas at com. Check our site. We have a lot of coverage of, of uh, this horrific tragedy uh, this week in the aftermath, and we'll have more uh, this week, and that's nevadaindependent.com. Please go on iTunes, subscribe, rate us. You can also find us on Google Play and a whole bunch of other uh, places. I do want to thank uh, the, our great hosts here at KUNV on the campus of UNLV. And as always, many thanks to Joey Lovato. He's our fantastic producer who always makes us sound good. I'm John Ralston. Thanks for listening to Indy Matters. We'll talk to you next week.